Hello, my name is Anthony, and this is my podcast, Theologizing Life, where we talk about how what we think about God shapes the lives we live. Welcome to Theologizing Life. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. I want to encourage you uh, to share, like, uh, even rate this on iTunes. Any little thing you do can help expand uh, our listener base. Uh, today, I'm sharing an episode with you. With uh, I sat down with Jeff Brady, Pastor Reverend Jeff Brady. Uh, he is uh, well. He is a man of uh, of many skills and trades, um, but he's a church planner. Uh, he's a sacramental pastor, as as he likes to. Uh, sacramental shepherd, actually, as he likes to say it, he sees himself um, as, as a pastor, and in whatever he's doing, he tries to live out that calling wherever he's at, whatever he's doing. Uh, this conversation, we really didn't dive into a lot of questions because the question about his story ended up sort of dominating uh, the the hour that we spent together because his story is pretty pretty wild. All the different twists and turns it took uh, or it has taken and where where it's led him to and how it's led him to where he's at now. It's an incredible story. Um, and I hope you enjoy listening and, and just seeing all the of the redemptive ways that God used just different juncture, junctures in his life at different intersections um, to uh, work out his good purposes. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jeff Brady, um, and I uh, hope it encourages you. Hello, welcome to Theologizing Life, where we talk about how what we think about God shapes the lives we live. Uh, today, I have Jeff Brady uh, joining me, and um, I'm going to let I'm going to let him tell tell you about himself and and sort of what he does. Uh, it's he's he's kind of got a, a diverse array of things that he's he's up to these days. So um, welcome, Jeff. And uh, before we dive into some questions and conversation, um, could you just tell us a little bit about who you are and, uh, and, and as that relates to who you are as a Christ follower as well? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Anthony. Uh, I'm really excited to be here. And if, if even just our pre-conversation is an indicator, this is going to be a really fun conversation. Uh, I am Jeff Brady. Hey, hi. I'm, I always tell people that I'm trying to get away from my titles and roles. So many people are like, I'm a this, I'm a that, I do this for a living. I'm trying to train myself to say I'm a son of God. Yeah. Who is also then a husband and a father and happens to be um, a pastor and Bible teacher and spiritual director and some other things like that. So in a nutshell, that's me. But I think the core of our being has got to be rooted in being children of God, being understanding and plumbing the depths of what it means to be made in his image. Um, and I must relate to God, therefore, as his son in faithfulness and obedience. And as I do that, all the other things of life, the titles that come and go, the job positions, whatever, uh, those almost become irrelevant or just a means to an end to provide income for my family. Uh, but I'm a son of God always, who is also a husband and father, and then will live my life, my actions, my calling in some sense of pastoral type 
ministry. And I usually just use the title sacramental shepherd for that because I've done so many things over the years working in dog kennels and being an undertaker for a funeral home and a truck driver and also among uh, also being a pastor and Bible teacher and things like that. Um, no matter where I'm at, God says, here's an opportunity for you to represent me, son of God. Will you do it? And in that way, there's always opportunity to minister, to be that shepherd. But also, as I've plumbed the depths of rediscovering who I am with God, the absolute and never-ending need for grace shapes me as well. So needing to fully rely on God's grace, especially through the sacraments and other sort of John Wesley-style means of grace. So at root, I'm a son of God who happens to live out these other roles, husband, father, pastor, teacher, etc. But I would more often than not, if people said, well, what is it you do? Uh, I'd say I'm a sacramental shepherd. And that's sort of me in a nutshell. That's awesome. Um, did you uh, just a little bit uh, probing into your story a little bit more? Uh, yeah. Did you grow up in the church? Did you come to faith later? Uh, what's been your relationship with uh, you know, the Christian faith? Yeah, I grew up in church. We lived uh, out in the country in rural Indiana, a mile away from our church. So when the weather was nice enough, we'd walk or ride bikes, things like that. I don't remember a time that I wouldn't have called myself a Christian. Uh, at age 12 at church camp, I received at least what I understood to be my call to ministry at that point in time. Uh, it certainly seemed exciting enough in that moment. But then, you know, as, as you grow up and, and life happens, you know, you get to you see enough stories like at church camp or retreats and stuff. These these people with just absolutely desperate stories of, you know, I was I was at this terrible place in life and then God shone a light and here I am. And so you get to a point where it, it's so hard to sort of figure out who who we are like in our, in our inner being, all the thoughts and fears and nature and nurture and all these things that shape us. But there was a part of me with, with very hard baked, am I good enough tendencies? And part of that came through because although I was raised in the church, a small little Quaker church, very loving, very open to God being active in every part of life. My, my dad, uh, however, was a bit of a Pharisee and we had some abusive situations and things like that. And I just couldn't measure up. And so that influenced how I saw God very often. So then when my parents got a divorce right before my senior year of high school, well, wait, I thought we were Christians and I thought marriage was was had a certain sacredness to it. And I thought, you know, what God yeah. has put together, let no man tear asunder. And, and so that just caused a whole faith crisis uh, on top of sort of living under this, this sort of iron fist that was interspersed with faith language yeah. as well. So, wow. so learning to sort of navigate that became its own challenge. At this point in our lives, my wife and I would say we've got an incredible and God-honoring marriage. But when we met, we met three weeks after I graduated from high school. 
at still this very tender point in life of is love even real because of everything that I'd been raised with and then saw it completely broken apart. And so sort of stubbornly, cause I'm also that very much, very much the eight on the Enneagram scale, uh, very stubborn in saying, well, I've met this woman. We had a bit of a click and I'm going to marry her and not, not in, I guess in the me too days that can almost sound a little concerning, but she was open to it. And we went on multiple dates. I made so many flubs. Our first date, I, uh, my mom called at like 1030 and says, I'm moving up your curfew, get home now. And my, my, at the time she was 25, owned her own home was, she's like, I don't need to put up with curfew. What am I doing with you? But we went on a second <laughs> date in which I locked the keys in the truck in the middle of the drive-in movie. And so I had to wait until my cousin could bring my dad's spare set of keys. Cause he was on house arrest at the time <laughs> at three in the morning to the drive-in. Wow. And she still gave me another chance. And so it was this very mutual searching and loving and following this click, uh, this this spark, so to speak. And so we got married and that became a very instrumental faith thing. But then at 20, 20 or 21, we had a break in at our house and I suffered a head injury, a traumatic head injury and had retrograde amnesia. And had to re-meet my wife and had to relearn what faith was and had to rediscover all the things that we took for granted in life. There, there was a certain point where I was a child in a grown body uh, wow. asking for help to use the bathroom. It, it was ridiculous. So I had to learn all these things from square one. And so there was a much more intentional faith journey there as, as the pastor that I had been working under at the time. I started working as a pastor just three months after graduating high school and have, have been in some form of ministry ever since minus a few years in the middle. And so he was such a gracious shepherd coming around, not pressuring me into faith, but just asking if he could help and trying to challenge my brain and, and help me get intellectually stimulated to a point where I'd even be interested in reading, but the brain is funny. And so I could still read. I could still my in my vocabulary was limited. I could still write. I, my fingers knew home row, even though I didn't know it was called home row on the keyboard. And so, you know, we could still do some things like that. And so the internet's a terrible place. I looked at all sorts of things. Um, the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, all sorts of, uh, Eastern mystic and, and Sufi and, uh, Jewish and, uh, clear into rejections of philosophical religious worldviews, uh, flirting with atheism, things like that, looking at all these things in this regrowth period from losing my memory and telling the pastor some of these journeys and just not finding what the big deal was with this whole faith thing. And he said, could you do me a favor? If you're willing to read that far, would you go back into your Bible and would you look at the book of John? Okay. And there was something there. There there was something more vital that that had some eternal call out that that said for all the searching there is some sense of home here. Mm-hmm. And so as I look back now, I mean I love being a Wesleyan pastor and I love the idea that 
God has given us the grace to choose God and that free will is something that God never revokes from us. But I look back on that time and it questions my belief on the sovereignty of God. Did Since I had been a Christian, raised a Christian, already been a pastor, called to ministry at 12, did God let me choose God again? Or did I even have a choice and God never let me go? You know, you know, who can, who can know the mind of God? So, so that was a very crazy year, year and a half and, and rediscovery of faith period in my life. A couple of years later, and the whole time Heather is just being incredible. She's a nurse uh, by profession and nurse practitioner. So she's being an incredible caretaker, even though she also had a toddler and a teenager to take care of uh, my stepdaughter and my son. And you know, was raising me along with them. It, one of the cool things, Jacob and I, you know, my son, we get to watch the same episodes of Sesame street and laugh and enjoy them together. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she was incredibly loving and, you know, it'll take a darker turn because faith is, is an always evolving story in our lives. We're, we're not static. And so a few years later, even though I had to relearn who I was, that didn't change some of those nurture nature debates, some of those traumas of youth that maybe I didn't know about now or didn't have um, memory access to, but still played a role in my personality, my, my, my motivations and things like that. And so this, this perfectionism, this need to please that sort of thing. Um, but also this desire for new and fresh. And so I actually ended up, um, in a pornography addiction and choosing another woman over my wife for a, for a short season and had an affair. Um, and so that created a whole new faith crisis uh, in our lives and our marriage uh, as, as a son of God, which was at this point, not a concept I, I really cared for. I was just trying to fit this, this sort of go be a good Christian evangelical sort of moral majority mold, do good things, be nice, that sort of thing. Um, and so that that was its own dark period but heather and i had so many my my wife before the affair and we resumed marriage after the affair we went through restoration process and we both had sort of a triage team uh, i had a few very strong and and pastoral and um, godly men surround both of us but dig into the nitty gritty of my life and, and help pull me back from the brink very much in that Jude 23 style, um, snatch others from the fire, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted sin, that sort of thing. And she had a, in many cases, these, these men's wives surrounded her and she had a strong team of women minister to her and help her. And after a few months of separation, uh, and a lot of pastoral counseling and a lot of counseling counseling and a lot of prayer and a lot of hard work. We ended up coming back together and I was allowed to move back home. Uh, and so that began a whole new journey because now I had to learn not like after the memory loss that I was a minister. So here's how you be a minister. I now had to learn who is Jeff Brady without ministry because I was barred from it. I was suspended from seminary and kicked out of my position and I, I also credit God, again, playing with sovereignty. Within two weeks of being found out and confessing to this sin, 
and being out of ministry, I had four different offers from churches and other denominations saying, hey, we heard you're available and would have hired me even knowing about the affair, having come out two weeks earlier. But there was something in me that that couldn't that why how on earth am I even able to be a pastor right now that you can't have someone unethical doing ministry for you? And so I, I turned those down. I, I credit that to God's grace, but I also maybe he wouldn't have let me. I don't know. Uh, but that began exploring a question in my life of uh, temptation versus opportunity that became a question that would come back. I, I love the movie Shrek. I've loved that since high school. And he and Donkey are walking out of Lord Farquaad's uh, city and they're walking through that that vegetable patch and uh, they're trying to discuss the nature of an mm. ogre and uh, Shrek sees that and he's like, ogres are like onions. He's like onions. They stink. They're hairy. They got <laughs> layers, the layers, everybody, not everybody likes onions. Everybody likes parfait. Parfait's got layers. <laughs> and that's become a metaphor for faith for me that something that we may have dealt with or put to bed a long time ago is often going to come back around at a slightly deeper level as we're invited deeper into the center of ourselves and our relationship with God to continue plumbing the depths of his heart and discovering more deeply who he made us to be and shedding back those layers. So, um, so this, this invitation to, to explore temptation versus opportunity became a really prominent theme since that period. This was 2011 that the affair happened and, September of 2011, December of 2011, we moved back in together, but it wasn't until December of 2014 that I was allowed to interview with the church again. I decided to stay with the denomination that I'd send in and walk through their restoration process. And so now I have to explore who am I without ministry? Who am I as a Christian without ministry? Because my faith had always exclusively been since the memory loss in the context of how I can serve other people. But that became a subtle input to perfectionism. Did I serve you well enough? Yeah. Did I please God enough by serving you well enough? And so having to strip that away and learn to find the presence of God. So in a way, rediscover the Quaker heritage that I had forgotten in which we would spend sometimes 20, 30, 45 minutes a worship service in complete silence, just waiting for God to move and touch us. I had to rediscover that heritage, uh, even as a Wesleyan, which has some overlap, but not a ton. Yeah, yeah. And learn to be content with God on God's terms and who I currently am, not in the sense that I can endorse my sin or my problems, but that I am right now who God created me to be and not yet the perfected being he has asked me to be. And so learning to find God's delight in me, but letting that delight fuel my desire to get closer to him, as opposed to being more excellent for the sake of, of perfectionism or excellence's sake. And so this began redefining, uh, who I was, but also Heather was mirroring this journey with the women that she was walking through accountability and growth with. And this began redefining our marriage and love and learning about 
the concept of love being a choice that there are some days you just don't feel love, but you, mm, because yeah. God has put you together, you choose each other on a daily basis and do whatever you can to foster that love, especially with like Ephesians five, uh, the husband sacrificing for her as Christ did for the church and her submitting to the husband as unto the Lord and, and this mutual growth. So our love began getting redefined as our love for God individually being getting redefined, which then meant our marriage, our house, our family, and the love there began getting redefined. And so we began stepping into whole new processes and understandings and ideas about who God is and how God wants us to reach out to God. But I also needed income, so I became a paraprofessional and a substitute teacher and sold Pampered Chef. Uh, my son was uh, six at this time, and so he he came up with the idea that I was the Pampered Jeff, and that was on all my business cards and stuff. <laughs> I then began uh, working with a funeral home, became an undertaker for a couple of years. And this is where I – in each of these other examples, God started showing me ministry opportunities because it was more about we all – feel like we don't belong. We all have things that make us feel like we don't measure up. And God is reaching out to each of us saying, my child, my child, I love you. And I, I began having opportunities on a daily basis to tell people that without having to worry about propping up uh, a churchy institution that was no yeah. longer doing that. And that, that began redefining ministry as well. Uh, but the funeral home was the first time that that overlap really began happening because on a daily basis, you're helping people who are helping people. Uh, I was helping the funeral directors help the grieving and sometimes directly getting to work with the grieving. Um, and then from there, when that became untenable, uh, but through that, each of these steps, God began opening doors and through the personal journeys Heather and I were on and the marital journey that we were on, we began getting this this conviction and knowledge that God is intimately involved in our lives if we let him be as and and we do that through our faithfulness to him and his word and our obedience to what he asks us to do both sort of at life love God love neighbor make disciples and on a daily basis go talk to this person go offer them a cup of water go help this uh, just sit in prayer and and don't go talk to people today you know faithfulness and obedience became my watchwords uh, at life and so we would then step into whatever, you know, paraprofessional substitute teaching. Each of these became invitations, temptation or invitation that or opportunity, that question keep coming up. And and as we could discern that these things were opportunities from God, then we will step through this door you've opened, Lord. And as we could discern that some things weren't, well, then thank you for the opportunity, but we're not interested or able at this time. And since that, since 2011, that has led us into things that we never would have willingly stepped into, such as being church planters, which I have been avidly against for years. But God keeps showing fruit. I don't need to know why I'm stepping into this thing. And I don't also need to be responsible for the results of this thing. But as I'm faithful and obedient to what God asks, he will take care of the rest. So this plays out in our daily lives. My faith life, your faith life, our faith lives. If I'm faithful and obedient to what God wants, then all the other concerns, all the other worries, all the other very legitimate upsetting things are put into perspective because being faithful uh, and how I follow God and obedient to who God asks me to be, my hope is set firmly on him. I can be full of his peace then because I don't have to worry about a thing. I'm just following God. 
then my joy can overflow and love can abound. Oh, this sounds like the themes of Advent because he is always making these things new to us. And it's a it's such an easier life, not truly like that there are no hard things, but mentally no longer exhausting, no longer stress. I don't have to be perfect for anyone. I need to be the son God has asked me to be. And he seems to manage all the other things. So we've never had to want for a thing since moving into this mode of existence and understanding and pursuing God, of pursuing him and faithfulness and obedience and just working with the layers that he presents to us and the uh, discerning the temptations or the opportunities that come before us. And so with the funeral home, we said yes to that. And within a few years of it became untenable. We could not stay, but I rekindled a friendship with a pastor who we had, we drifted apart because of the affair and the restoration. And, um, you know, we happened to just be in the hearse one day on a day that I was supposed to be managing one of the, uh, a chapel in a different town, but other people called in sick and that sort of thing. So we just lost all our help. The, the dominoes fell and I ended up having to go to a third chapel and drive the hearse this day and happened to be put in the hearse with, uh, this pastor leading the service that we had lost contact and now we're reconnecting with. And so afterwards, as a courtesy, I always drop the pastor off at their vehicle because sometimes the parking lots are are big and you want to just serve. And he's got this gigantic fat dually truck. Uh, way, to, way to take care of the environment, pastor. Is that a diesel? And <laughs> so he's joking. He tells me about pulling campers, uh, driving a truck and delivering campers from factories uh, out to dealerships. And no lie, three, within three weeks, just with two phone calls, not even like pushing doors open, just two phone calls within three weeks, we had a truck and a brand new job. Uh, wow. Now working with this guy and we became best friends. We started intentionally talking to dispatch, dispatch to get loads together and traveling across the country together and eating our meals together and that sort of thing. And uh, a brand new brotherhood emerged out of this former friendship. And in December, 2014, um, 15, in December 2015, I said that earlier, wrong earlier, December 2015 was my first re-entry, my opportunity to interview into ministry again, was actually to become his youth pastor in a Wesleyan church. Uh, and so this whole sort of full circle thing where we weren't looking to get back into ministry, we were just being the people God asked us to be, the loving and godly couple God asked us to be, and continuing to pursue his opportunities and let him open the doors when he was ready. And so when his name Brent, when Pastor Brent asked me to be his youth pastor, I said, that's, that's great, but I'm still barred by the denomination. And so uh, I can't. Thanks for thinking of me, but I'll pray that you find the right person. He's like, no, you're the right person. <laughs> you're crazy, but sure, I'll pray about it. Like, but that sort of eye roll, like, <laughs> sure, bless, right. your, bless your heart. Uh, <laughs> and, but, but. That conversation happened on, I believe, December 11th. And on December 29th, the district superintendent called me without me talking to anyone in the denomination to say, we've been having some conversations and it's time for you to be done with restoration. Do you have any ministry prospects or opportunities that you've been praying about? So has, has Brent talked to you about Southside? Who? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, Brent. No, he hasn't. I've not talked to him for a while. Uh, well, let's see what we can do for that. And I started right there at the end of December 2015 and got back into ministry without even asking to. 
just being completely content to be a truck driver. And it was hard and it was hard to be away from the family. It was hard to be gone four or five days a week. But I also had literal unadulterated hours to just be a monk, which was a tendency in me that I'd never nurtured before because I always had to do. Now I just have hours and hours to sit and seek the Lord. It was an incredible time of growth that I I almost sort of crave, but you know, yeah. the opportunity just isn't there now. It, it's an expensive way of life if you don't already own the, the truck to do it. And so God opened that door, which then put me back in contact with certain ministry colleagues. And so they couldn't pay me, but I was trucking and working bivocationally with him uh, at that church because he's still also trucking and having an amazing time. And another church called. And so this is such a gigantic and roundabout answer about faith journey. And yet it is impossible to discuss this faith journey without the intertwined and intimate ways that God moves. If we let ourselves get connected and intimate with how God wants to move in our lives with God on God's terms, I often say, and just being faithful and obedient to, to God on God's terms. And as different layers come up of maybe sin or repentance or different layers of blessing and guidance, taking each of those as divine opportunities to go deeper with him and discerning what the temptation or the opportunity is uh, as they come up by submitting them to God on God's yeah. terms and letting him evaluate. So we get to Southside, get to this little church and that puts me back in some of the Wesleyan circles of different opportunities, sort of uh, such as our married couples retreat that Heather and I had gone to a few times, but I was just a lay person at that point. Now that I was a pastor, uh, another pastor came up to me and said, Hey, I'm on staff at this other church and we'd really like to recruit you. Uh, no, Brent and I, we get this awesome thing going. We're, we're doing this. And so, but because we sort of assured God, we would never turn down an opportunity that he, offered, we at least put in the resume, we laid out the fleece and it just didn't feel right. So we, we pulled out of that interview process, uh, apparently within hours of them being on the verge of calling us to offer us the job. Uh, that was in October of 2016. So just a year and a half at Southside in January, 2017, they called again, look, we've still not found anyone. We really think it's you. And so, okay, God, if you're opening this door again, we'll, we'll investigate it again. And we'll, we'll put the resume out there. We'll lay out the fleece and we won't withdraw it this time. We'll let you have your way. And if they offer it, we're going to trust that to you. And if they don't, we'll trust that to you. And so they did. And I started working then at a Methodist church outside of the Wesleyan church. So they're, they're similar, but not quite. Uh, they're related. And this became a whole different church leadership and polity structure within the Wesleyan church. Pastors have, um, a larger amount of authority, but also a larger amount of necessary working in concert with the lay people. Not, not so, at least in this particular Methodist church. And so um, it became a very good thing in many ways. For example, finally getting a living wage at ministry. That was the first time in over 12 years of paid ministry, uh, which was fun. <laughs> but that also came with drawbacks of church politics and infighting and, and, leadership structures that wanted to keep looking back instead of looking ahead and um, not being honest with ourselves about attendance trends and 
you know, in the previous 11 years going from over a thousand to less than 300 and, you know, what are we going to do differently? Well, if we just keep doing this. So it, it was a mixed bag. It was where God wanted us. There were relationships that we still have now that are incredible. Um, but it also came with challenges, which caused us again, invitation or temptation, uh, temptation or opportunity from God. God, did we make the right decision here? We, we put out the fleece. We felt your hand in it, but did we misunderstand you? Which was even a whole new experience for us because, you know, evangelicalism, you're, you're raised to never question, never doubt. Mm. You just, you know, if you felt that that was God, then you, you run for a whole hog. And yet we find ourselves in a far more humble position now that there's been too yeah. much that we can't account for that God has done. So God, did we miss you here? God says, no, this is, this is definitely where I have you. You just don't have to know why. And so we kept trying to be faithful, mm. obedient and doing good work. But by the time it was done, uh, COVID hit and, um, we'd already been discerning a call. We met, we met so many incredible people, a pastor in India, uh, head of a revival that no one's ever heard of. He's now got over 22,000 converts and 2,400 house churches wow. in a network that started with him and four people in his Hindu neighborhood under cover of darkness and threat of violence because he'd been converted by our pastor who'd been there on a mission trip some 20 or 25 years ago. Wow. An incredible story. And so he came to the church I was working at and and preached. And we were one of the few churches that even knew about him, let alone supported him. And so he was telling us how, let, get this, just put this in your American church mindset and tell me how many Christians you know that actually operate this way. That as soon as you become a baptized believer, you have, and we've laid hands on you to receive the Holy Spirit. You have everything within you you need to go plant a church right now. <laughs> excuse me <laughs> not a chance yeah uh, but this is how they grow if you've received jesus if you've been baptized and we laid hands on you you've got all you need uh sorry about that uh you've got all you need because god is filling you and if you just trust the holy spirit you're gonna be good oh can we do that? That doesn't sound like what I've grown up with, what I've been raised with. Between services, though, at the coffee bar, because American church, someone said, well, that might be good for them over there. And I was floored. What do you mean them over there? There are brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter where they're located in the world. It doesn't matter their economic status, their, their, the majority religion culture that they come from. What do you mean fine for them over there? If it's working for the church there, then it should work for the church here. And we probably need to take notes. And so this was my first exposure, my first acknowledgement of my exposure to the sort of imperial, imperialistic mindset of, of predominant white evangelical moral majority Quotey finger Christianity. I'm not sure how to turn that off, and I'm sorry. It's okay. It's fine. Uh, that that was my first exposure to. There's something not quite right here, and I think it has something to do with color. I'd never needed to worry about that before. 
I didn't know it was a thing because I'd not been exposed to it. And so God opened this door. God uh, orchestrated it so that I could be a chaplain on a trip with Taylor University, with a local university in town to go to Africa with them for a, Jan for a January term, like a month long trip to be a chaplain for them, but also to lead a couple pastors conferences over there. I don't need to lead pastors conferences, but here's, here's opening number two to this mindset. Simply because I was a white pastor from America. These are the words of an African pastor to me. I had more knowledge than them and they needed to learn from me. Mm. Mm. How disturbing was that? Yeah. Wow. I, I could not believe it. And so I, I tried to encourage them about, I need to be learning from you. Look, you're meeting in a, a, a church with only three walls and a dirt floor. Your carrion consists mostly of boiled leaves. And yet I've never seen such spiritual joy on anyone's face. I've never seen 200 people pack into a three-walled room and have a more vibrant and spirit-filled worship service than I ever experienced in America. You don't need to learn from me. I could not convince them. I could not convince them of this. And so I also now began exploring, God, what, what is my role in upholding this poisonous mindset that says it might be okay for them out there or simply because I'm a white pastor, I'm better. Yeah. God break my heart and teach me. Hmm. Um, that was in January, 2018, that trip to Africa. And I think that is when my discontentment began my holy discontent with the staff I was on, not necessarily the staff I was on, the people were amazing, but now realizing that I'm in a church structure that even though it does have a vast amount of people of color leadership here in our little local congregation in rural, rural Indiana did not care to look for, let alone elevate people of color authority. because it was fine for them over there. And so, so having been exposed to house church with this pastor from India, having met a 14 year old Sunday school superintendent in Africa, what do we trust 14 year olds with here? I've been a youth pastor for over 15 years, nothing because by and large, their heads aren't on straight. Not all 14 year olds don't click off students. I love you all dearly, but 14 is a hard age. I'm raising a 14 year old right now and he's incredible but also his head's not on straight. They had a 14 year old Sunday school superintendent. How did, how, is he the pastor's son? How did, how did you get him into leadership? Because God blessed him and used him and we have to do what God says. Oh, you mean elections aren't necessarily what they're cracked up to be within the church. <laughs> <laughs> so getting exposed to these ideas and seeing how the global body of Christ is doing church, regardless of whether or not it's quotey finger more primitive, perhaps we need to get more primitive and trust ourselves less 
Mm. because God is God, but we sure love making ourselves God. And so this is becoming instrumental in our faith journey. And God is, is now saying, Jeff, I think that's what I want you to do. So I'd been elevated from, from just the youth pastor to the youth and discipleship director at this church. And I, I presented a pitch to them in February, 2018, after my trip to Africa, I, I really think house churches need to be how we do discipleship. All of our small groups, all of our Sunday school classes. I mean, for the sake of like grandfathering in the old ways, let's keep a couple yeah. Sunday school classes. But I think by and large, everything new we, we start needs to be house churches. And I was very roundly told that that is simply not how we do things here. Because again, we're not looking back and adapting. We keep doing what we've been doing. That, that was the unsaid part that that's my yeah. reason for, for what was said that right. we will not be doing that here. So that was with the, that was with the two pastors on staff. And I was just a lay uh, director for them because they did not recognize my Wesleyan ordination. Okay. I keep, I sit on it, just work faithfully and obediently because this is where God planted you, Jeff. So be a son of God and minister the best way you know how, which very often came into conflict with their conventions. Um, so, so then began this exploration of how do I submit to the authorities placed over me, this church that I'm working for, and also reflect what God is doing within me, um, show a more biblical, not that they were necessarily doing unbiblical things, but that they weren't continuing to seek God and biblical understanding for new things. Um, and so finally it, it became unbearable, but I couldn't let go because this is where God placed me and he's not said, get out the door yet. Or maybe I love that living wage that I was finally making at a church. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure which. So my wife and I love, uh, she works at a college. We love getting away on their spring break, usually for a cruise. Now we do this cheaply, but we find it to be an incredible way to vacation because everything's right there for you. Um, and, but we, we do it cheaply. We didn't buy the internet package. So in this week of just enjoying each other and listening for God and praying and seeking, but also with no notifications or dings on any devices, it was like God abundantly said, are you listening yet? I've laid house church on your heart for over a year and a half. Oh, January of that year before COVID, I, I made a fresh, uh, um, offer for look house church needs to be our discipleship plan at this church and was again rebuffed and so three months later we're on this cruise god says are you done yet because i've been talking to you and so we get off the boat dumbest scariest thing to do um for the for the person that you're calling we were off the boat we we were just barely out of town and i called and said i can't tell you over the phone because i respect you too much we need to do it in person but first thing monday morning we need to talk don't, don't make those kind of calls. I'm sure I had this guy, I had this poor pastor in knots over the weekend um, because he was also young like me and trying to figure out his role in the church. And even though he was the pastor, you know, and what God wants him to do. And I told him it was abundantly clear. We have to go to house church. So we need to work on a transition plan out. And COVID was not yet. We were on like the last boat before boats got shut down. And, wow. and 
rural Indiana, it was not yet a thing. We actually got notified, not that we had been exposed and close contacted, but two people on our boat had been exposed and people were still just violently afraid of, I guess they still are. People were even more illogically yeah. afraid of the unknown of the virus yeah. uh, in March of 2020. And so not that we shouldn't be afraid of the virus. It's a freaky, scary, 400,000 nearing death toll thing. Uh, but uh, just by telling my principal, we were on this cruise and out of the over like 7,000 people on board, two people have tested positive since they got home. And we got an email now a week later. We were the reason our school went into lockdown. Oh, my wife, my. oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> but uh, so so the pastor says, well, I hear you. Yeah, you've got church camp on the calendar. Just stay through then. Okay, we can do that. Submit to the authorities placed over you. Um, but then suddenly all the things changed. Youth ministry, church camp, all the things couldn't meet in person. And so those last three months became a, a rescue operation for the church in a way because the church was caught flat on its feet with COVID. The American church was not ready to minister to souls outside of its four walls. Yeah. And I was not allowed, I would not allow my spirit to say, you know, we just gone to house church a year and a half ago. <laughs> I could not let myself say that. So trying to find ways on the back foot to minister, to retain, to keep people and to explore my own faith. God, where are you at when people are dying, when people are angry when people are denying truth and science and not submitting to the authorities and, and all of these. So that became its own fresh faith crisis. And I'm supposed to be I hear you. on putting together a proposal of house church network to plant to our denomination. God, I never wanted to be a church planner. I've told you time and again, that's not me. God's like, yeah, but I say it's you. Yes, I'm your son of God. I'll do it. Um, and so trying to, I mean, you know, Anthony, um, ministry suddenly required double the effort for less than half the results. Yeah. And so, you know, 60 hours a week. 60 hour weeks, 70 hour weeks with maybe seeing five of my kids in person, uh, my students and that sort of thing. It, it was awful, but we, we went through that season. And finally at the end of June, we'd committed to stay till June 30th, even though there was no church camp and that sort of thing. And so we'd had a couple meetings with the district superintendent and the denomination along that way. And we're ready to be approved by the district right at the end of June to launch this church plant, this house church proposal. And so we began exploring services in August and having sort of trial house church services. And here we are five months later, we've had some incredible stories. We've had some incredible lessons, some incredible defeats, but we're also seeing God move and to, to jump off of a faith cliff that God has asked you to jump off of not, not throwing ourselves off the temple for the angels to catch us. Jesus. That's good. That's clear about that. But when God has said, jump it, I will make you fly. I will carry you on wings like eagles. When he asks you to jump in that situation, oh, it's so good. It is scary. and I'm not getting paid uh, much. And I'm working three part-time jobs now to help sort of pull my strength. 
And it's been an incredibly busy season for my wife as a nurse practitioner and a provider and a professor of nursing uh, because she's called back into medical practice on top of teaching. And I'm also a teacher as one of my part-time jobs. And so now you have to completely double up your syllabi and, and how you teach because you've still got some students online and some yeah. who are still in the classroom and just crazy stuff. And yet we're more exhausted than ever. And yet God is carrying us and it's been an incredible journey. But we couldn't be here without the re-examination of faith. We couldn't be here without the journey we've been on. From, yeah. from the pharisaical upbringing, even, the, even if God did not cause the abuse, people do things like that. But God can redeem and use mm -hmm. any circumstance. God did not cause my parents' divorce. Uh, I do believe that God brought us together, but we had to choose to follow him into marriage. But God did not cause my affair. That that was me. God did not cause me to have a, a major head injury. God did not cause these bad things. But each of them became an invitation to re-examine who God is on God's terms and accordingly follow God the way he desired to more deeply become his son and his daughter, uh, letting him mold us from the ground up and breathe his life into us rather than attempting to build our own little tower of battle to self and find our own way to heaven. And yeah. so I could not conceive of being a church planter had I not been an undertaker, which made me a church a truck driver, which got me back into church ministry, which then put me in contact with people at this other church to sort of recruit me, which then put me in contact with a church planter from India and incredible pastors in Africa and all of these different inputs that God may or may not have orchestrated each and every one of them. But as we submit each of them to him, he uses them to bring about his will. I believe that God is turning the arc of the universe towards Revelation 21, new heaven and new earth. I will make yeah. all things new. And just as he has made our lives new, uh, he is continuing to sort of make that new heaven and new earth within us as we seek and get in touch with him. And so my faith journey is inexplicably tied to each of these events, but I would not be who I am now without each of them having happened. So yeah. I know that's so much more roundabout than you could have desired uh, or wanted, but there's no way to, to share a faith journey within the time capsule of like the last three months of a person's life, because we're the product of all the places yeah. and experiences and people that we've been and been in contact with. Um, so that is my faith journey, not in a nutshell, but it inextricably is tied to exactly who I am now, a son of God who happens to be a husband and a father, and then a pastor and Bible teacher and spiritual director, uh, who then hopefully somewhat more concisely calls himself a sacramental shepherd, because that is who God has made me to be. Uh, I love the new Pixar movie, Soul. That is my spark in a way, not my yeah. purpose. That is, that is simply when I live in that role of being a sacramental shepherd, my soul sings before yeah. my maker. Um, but I could not have gotten to this point of understanding without all of these crazy ups and downs, without delving into these layers, without learning to trust God on God's terms and just be faithfully obedient to him and let him, letting him take care of all the other details. So, so that's the faith journey. But what a ride. And I also, at this point, it continues getting more exciting. I can't wait for what's next. Yeah. How hard it is. Man, um, it's uh, that, that one question 
and your sharing of your story actually like ticked off about half of the other questions right. we were, you know, going to explore. And, um, and I don't think we'll have time uh, to get into some, some other things. And I think there's just so many things you shared that I wasn't going to ask about. Cause I didn't know some of all those details about your story um, that I feel like this kind of, went a different direction, but maybe a better direction. And one of the things that just stuck out to me is the, the way um, God makes all things new and he's a God of resurrection life and redeeming broken things. And um, just that he can, uh, he can do that. And in your story, it's almost just um, instead of this being like an interview, it's almost just like a testimonial uh, share of, of your story. And I hope it encourages people because I think sometimes we need whether um, we've been hurt by someone, mm-hmm. whether we've lost a job, whether we've found ourselves in a place where we've sinned in a way that has brought devastating consequences to our life, or whether God's calling us to, to take a leap of faith, um, all of us in those different places, it's encouraging to see someone else's story of God's faithfulness um, because because we don't always see or, or Sometimes we, we, we only, you know, like as a pastor, sometimes I don't always see how God ends up bringing healing to someone who comes to me sharing about a hurt. You know, I don't know the other end. So anyways, thank you for sharing your story because it's a testimony of God's, uh, of God's faithfulness. Um, you're very, I mean, if the body of Christ ceases to be transparent and vulnerable, I believe it ceases to be the body of Christ. So I could do no less than share even the darkest and, and most self-incriminating examples in my life because God was not done at that point or that point or that point or that point right. was not yet done either. So I, I believe our, our transparency and our vulnerability with each other actually makes the body of Christ stronger. Not, right. not our, not our fakery, not our masks, uh, the masks of personality that we wear to hide our deepest regrets or, or sins or anything. Um, not not in the bravado that we carry ourselves with as Christians, which I think is its own kind of pride and sin, but through our vulnerability and transparency, the body of Christ, I believe, is strengthened. And so if nothing else, I hope I hope something in my story will inspire other people to tell theirs um, because you never know who it's going to touch and impact and how it's going to open a door that God's been waiting to open for someone, even perhaps yourself, that without that ingredient, without you listening to God to give that ingredient to the recipe, it just wouldn't have been as good. Yeah. Well, um, before, maybe before we wrap up, I guess one of the, the lingering kind of questions I have is, and I like to ask this of people not to prescribe it for other people, but sometimes I think we need examples. Um, you're listening to God and you're being connected to him. Uh, you're, you're, kind of cultivating your relationship with him. What does that look like in some practical uh, ways? Yeah. And again, not as a prescription for other people, but yeah. as an example, because sometimes I feel like, um, and I've had other podcasts where we dive into this, but I think sometimes we don't always know what it looks like other than like, okay, read a devotional and say my prayers before bed, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyways, what is listening? Uh, could you give us sort of sketch out a little glimpse yeah. of, of what that listening and connecting with God looks like? Yeah, this this is a fantastic question. And 
you, you might remember this from youth ministry days. Uh, whenever you, you invite kids to sort of like an open-ended question and answer session, it's like five questions every time. Uh, every time it's the same five. And this is usually one of them. And so, so I always give this disclaimer that just as there are sort of well-trod paths through the forest of faith that we would be wise to follow along, God has also made each of us in his image. And right. there are unique touch points and connections within mm-hmm. each of us to God. So I I like to think of the phrase listening to God as a catch-all or God's voice as a catch-all term to describe multiple things that can look different for different people. Right. Uh, so yeah, non-prescriptive for sure. Um, listening to God for me has definitely turned into actual listening. So again, I, I touched on like getting back in touch with my Quaker roots, rediscovering them. In early in my ministry, I was supposed to have the answers. And that, that's sort of what you're taught. I, right. I almost wish both undergraduate and seminary education, and seminary education did include a, a significant spiritual formation piece, but I almost wish Christian ministerial preparation education required intangible uh, forms of seeking God like that, that you can't get a grade on, but just made it, made it so abundantly clear that if we don't look for God, we're not going to find God. Jesus was literal knock and the door should be opened. Seek and you shall find ask and it will be answered. But we don't, we don't actually seek, ask and knock. And so I had to actually start listening, which started with, getting bored in my truck. I didn't get in the truck to start listening to God uh, when I was driving, but you can only go through so many audiobooks uh, or or XM radio trials before you get bored with it. And then it sort of hits you in the, some, sometimes we get those sublime moments. It was like those, Oh, duh, God moments. Oh, duh, God, you've been inviting me to listen to you for up to 14 hours a day on the road. (laughs) And I've been filling it with so much other noise. I'm sorry. I'm going to try and listen now. And it began just practicing 10 minutes at a time, 10 minutes a day. Cause we, no one becomes, uh, I used to love dragon Ball Z. No one becomes a super Saiyan in their first battle. Mm -hmm. You, You level up, you work up to it. No one becomes a master trainer the first day after professor Oaks, uh, office. You work up to it and no one becomes a a spiritual warrior because that image is in the Bible. Uh, No one becomes that out of the blue. So 10 minutes at a time of just listening and then progressed up to challenging myself uh, because driving to listen to just a chapter of the Bible read to me. The Holy Bible app is awesome because you've got so many translations that have built in audio books pre-recorded yeah. and read for you. So yeah. I would turn that on for just 10 minutes of listening to God and then a chapter of listening to scripture. And, and almost immediately the effects were obvious. So, so that became one input for me, but then also allowing myself permission to no longer have to meet anyone else's expectations of what faith and spirituality should look like. Because I was still trapped in, well, this is what you were taught to do. This is what I've always been because it was prescribed. It was prescriptive. And if you weren't doing it these four ways, you were doing it wrong. Right. So then 
feeling, perceiving. So uh, when I listen to God, what is his voice like? It is not a voice. That's the catch-all term. Uh, I don't hear Joffrey Brady. Right. That would be excellent. I wish. I feel internal nudges. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Maybe a thought that comes up three, four, five times within a short period of time, maybe an hour, maybe a week. Um, Or an idea that that you lean into a little and realize that there's no resistance there, that God is saying, yeah, give it a shot or a door that's open that must be discerned invitation, uh, opportunity or temptation. It it must be discerned. But if it is not truly a temptation, if it is not going to trigger my pride or my ideations of sin and, and temptation, then let's jump into this invitation. Um, so, so it's, 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 it's an internal conviction for me when I say listening to God that I could not put a voice on very often. My internal monologue sounds like my voice and yet, and yet when I give myself the space to listen and to, to just listen to God, I truly mean sitting in expectant silence doing nothing but listening to God, truly just listening. And then entering into a time of scripture and then a time of prayer that is unburdening. So I slowly kept adding these steps in as I trucked, getting up to a point where I'd have two, two and a half hours of devotional practice every day in the truck. Now, these days, that's not realistic and I miss it, but um, that's just where I got to. So yeah. the the listening, the scripture, then prayer time of unburdening, anything that was on my heart, praises, yeah. uh, abject, just awesome praise and letting go howls of emotion. And, uh, I love this, this old word, ululations, uh, just uh, my, my old 10th grade speech teacher would, would call it gigantic yawps of joy. Y a W P. And confessions Mm. and anything that I had let come between myself and God, any bricks, that could become a foundation to a tower of Babel. Yeah. God take this one and this one and this one. And then from that point entering into not, not listening for its sake of listening, but listening prayer prompting with, with sometimes simple yes or no's or sometimes explaining God that here's this whole situation. Can you please give me clarity? And then trusting that the first word or thought that might sound like my own inner monologue voice, but having prayed, God, whatever the first thing that comes into mind, please let that be your thought. And then testing that thought. Maybe it's as simple as in a, in a truck stop or, or now uh, at a coffee shop. God, should I, should I go ask that person how they're doing? And sometimes I'll feel a no. And, and I don't question the motive of it. Maybe it, maybe I'm having a crappy day and I'm not in a position to talk to this person or maybe (laughs) they are and they don't need that. But sometimes it feels like a yes. And never once has it blown up in my face. Always. It has turned into a holy opportunity, whether it lasts for five minutes and it just encouraged them and made them smile that someone cared enough to ask, or whether it turned into a whole fresh coffee date that I had to rearrange my schedule for. So listening to God then, it, so it's not God's voice, but having practiced and developed all of these other steps of listening and getting into scripture um, and letting, letting Jesus move and speak and touch, 
unburdening, confessing, and then getting to a point of trust that that first thought is God's. So, so now for me, that almost is second nature. It can, I think, never truly become second nature because as soon as we lose intentionality, we start thinking maybe we're making it happen, which yeah. is where we get into that scary sort of like human level profit territory, not godly profit territory. And, and I don't want to flirt with those waters. I, I already indulged my ego enough to explode my family, my youth ministry, my job, my seminary education with that affair. Uh, I must keep my cru ego crucified daily. Yeah. And in part, it is through this complete submission, this faithfulness and obedience to God. And so with that is now since 2011, we're almost, we're nine and a half years into practicing all of these little steps that just began with 10 minutes a day. Yeah. It truly just began with 10 minutes a day. And then from there, God showed fruit and grew it into other things. Um, and so now when I say listening to God, my favorite that works into part-time jobs and ministry and that sort of thing is usually getting up before the house is up um, and taking, if I can get it, an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. In reality, life is hard and sleep is necessary. And so sometimes maybe it's half an hour, but also yeah. giving myself permission, yeah. a gift offered in good intention and faith. Uh, a heart fully surrendered to God, that is enough. Yeah. Even true. if it's not what my brain thought it needed to be. Um, yeah. And so, so that it still looks like spending some time just listening, then spending some time in scripture. Uh, I, I hope you know this. I'm saying scripture on purpose, not just the word, like little w, yeah, yeah. the word of God, because Jesus is the capital W living and breathing word of God. Um, but I think he inhabits the praises of his people and the scripture that has been passed down and that sort of thing. So, so just a few minutes of listening, a, sh a few minutes of scripture, a few minutes of prayer and unburdening, and, and then a few more minutes of active listening, um, or sometimes not even active listening in the sense that I'm asking, but just saying, God, I'm available for whatever you need to do or say. And sometimes I feel thoughts or, or hear nudges or things like that. Uh, again, not Joffrey, but just those, those internal monologue type things. And sometimes I don't, and I just rest in the peace of God. But that's the foundation we need. If we've not touched that, the rest of life is off kilter because we think we've got to fix it. And we cease to listen as we attempt to manage our own concerns, stresses, dysfunctions, et cetera. So that's what listening looks like. And it has yeah. just grown out of all those things. And for you or for your listeners, Maybe it'll look like that someday, or maybe it already does. But for you, uh, listeners, I also love going on long walks in the woods. I really, I am an Epicurean at heart. I love praising God with delicious bites. Not too many. I don't want to be slovenly and fat. Uh, I, I've been on a significant weight loss journey as God has convicted me about health that way too. But, um, but sometimes you get a bite yeah. that is just incredible. And Food is a good gift. God. Um, and through our marriage, listening to my wife more, letting her, when I feel spiritually blocked up, I can ask her. And nine times out of 10, nine and a half times out of 10, she's hearing what I need to hear 
and she can yeah. release that spiritual blockage because that Ephesians five passage uh, indicates that we are, as we each seek God and as she submits to me and I sacrifice for her and we, we get into this dance of mutual submission, we sanctify each other. We make each other holy. Are you kidding me? Oh, that's incredible. And so yeah. if I get a blockage, she's doing that for me. So maybe you've got a significant other in your life or a, another pastor or a wise uh, spiritual person in your life that you can go to that isn't going to give you prescriptions, but is going to give you invitations into God. Um, so look for God in all these ways, in ways that God has has set up your spark, dear listener. Um, for me, it's being that sacramental shepherd. It's being a bit of a monk uh, that that never knew he needed to be a monk. And that, that works for me, but for you, maybe it's my, my son, he builds Legos. And when he gets to the end of a Lego project, the satisfaction on his face, he literally says a prayer of thanks because God helped him do it. That that's enough. That is enough because it is all of my intention, honestly and humbly submitted to the Lord. That is enough, listener. Maybe it starts there. So whatever it looks like for you, just stay open to what God might be doing, uh, responsive to what he might be inviting you into, but then also faithful and obedient to actually do it. Uh, if we hear the word of God, James says, but then go away and do nothing with it, uh, we have fallen into sin of disobedience. So so we got to be hearers and doers of the Lord. But um, however that looks like for you, just respond to the invitations God gives. Yeah, that's and good. Help ask one of us, whether yeah. it's right here or uh, some other spiritual pastor, mentor that you trust, uh, or just a best friend. Hey, I feel like I need to look into the Bible more. Would you do that with me and have a partner with you? You know, don't go it alone. I always tell my students there's no room for lone wolves in the body of Christ. We need each other. So ask somebody. Uh, and wherever you find your starting point in this journey, good job. I'm really proud yeah. of you for exploring it, dear listener. It's great. Um, this is the last question, and um, then we'll have to wrap up. Uh, but if people wanted to find out more about your church plant um, or yeah. any of your social media um, connections or anything about you, uh, where could they go? Uh, yeah. Um, if they wanted to be just follow follow that journey more. Yeah, we uh, the house church is on some of the usual social medias. Uh, so we're on Facebook and Instagram at commoners house church twitter has a shorter uh, handle available so that's just at commoners house we also have a youtube channel we're trying to be interactive with this so especially in the pandemic not everyone feels comfortable to walk into a church building or even someone's right. house right so Every week we upload a playlist of the different movements. I record these fresh each week with the different scriptures and things and the different movements. So from our invocation to our time of prayer to our homily and the interactive questions we ask. So you can watch these devotionally uh, or you can invite friends or family, uh, coworkers, team members to watch these and make your own house church. You don't even have to give us credit for it. Just go to yeah. the channel and use the videos. Um, and so that is commoners house church on youtube uh, a little picture with a white dove and our name and the logo those are the main areas we've not yet got a website because i'm no web developer and some things are expensive but we're working on that and if you'd like to ask questions of course you can message us at any of those things but slightly more privately or securely you can also just email me pastor at commonershousechurch.org pastor at commonershousechurch.org and if you need any help in the journey, 
we'd love to partner with you and help you out uh, for any step that you're on because we need each other. Great. Well, thanks again, Jeff. And um, I hope uh, your story encourages our listeners. Anthony, it's been a privilege. Thank you so much for looking at different ways that we can theologize life and find God in the midst of all the things. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I hope that next time I can um, it actually answer some of the other additional questions you've got. Uh, but this was super fun. I really love the work you're doing here. And I pray that God blesses your efforts and you see the fruit that you didn't even imagine you needed to see. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.